and welcome to another edition of Book Circle Online. Today I'm joined in studio by New York Times bestselling author Kimberly McCrate. We'll be talking about her newest book, The Outliers, which was already optioned by Lionsgate with hopes of turning it into a feature film. Don't go away. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hi, I'm your host, Zoe Hewitt. Stay in touch with me on Twitter and Instagram at Zoe Said What, that's Z-O-E Said What. And Kimberly, I'm so excited to have you here in studio with me today. Before we get going, where can everyone find you on social media? Well, I'm on Twitter at Kim McCrate. It's K-I-M and then McCrate is M-C-C-R-E-I-G-H-T. And on Instagram, I'm at Kimberly McCrate and Facebook is Kimberly McCrate as well. Well, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to read The Outliers. It doesn't come out now until next week. But I think your writing, all of it, even from Reconstructing Amelia, is just nail-biting. Oh, thank you so much. That's the best it's compliment. Great. Thank you, because it's a fun reading to the point where I admit when I was reading The Outliers, it couldn't be the last thing I looked at before bed because I was too wound up. Perfect. My plan is working perfectly. Yes, but I had to switch to something frivolous for 10 minutes so I could just calm down enough to go to Excellent. bed. Excellent. So we won't give any spoilers away since, of course, the book's not out yet. So don't worry about that. Anyone who's out there can't wait to read it, which are a lot of people. So why don't you give us the basic plot summary? Okay, so the um, book is set in present-day Boston, and it opens with um, the central character, Wiley, who is a troubled teenage girl. Um, she struggled with anxiety her whole life, and it's gotten worse recently um, because her mother died in a car accident. And when the book opens... She gets a cryptic text from her ex-best friend, Cassie, um, who is a bit of a wayward uh, person to begin with. Um, and she asks for Wiley's help um, without giving her a lot of information. And so Wiley has to rely upon Cassie's boyfriend, um, Jasper, who Wiley doesn't like. Um, and the two of them take off in search of Cassie um, to try to help her. Um, and they end up on this road trip into the deep, um, dark woods of Maine, and uh, things quickly go from bad to worse um, on their way there. And when they arrive, they find out um, that what's going on isn't at all what they thought it was going to be. And the book is a trilogy. It's the first in a trilogy. Um, and I think first and foremost, it's really um, a page-turning mystery, but it does have a bit of a speculative twist to it, mm -hmm. um, which I think kind of um, makes it unique, and I'm certainly excited about. Absolutely. And I love that book number two is already finished. And now we're back to book number one, which for you must be like trying to rewind in your mind about it is. what's happening. It is. I have to, re I have to recall where, where I was a year ago. So yeah, book two is finished. It's in the hands of my editor, which um, is thrilling because I feel like this, this world extends beyond that. So it's very exciting. Well, of course, one of the big themes in here is about feelings. And are feelings even good or bad? There's a great line. Wiley says that with her feelings, she gets lost with them. She's stuck forever in a trapped in a gooey, inescapable mess. And I thought it was interesting that being different is so hard, especially as a teenager. And what feelings do you trust? And this mm -hmm. taps into those deepest fears. Was that your initial intent when you were writing about feelings in particular? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think... Um... 
I think the reality is the teenage years, more than any other time, is a time where you're questioning um, what you think, how you feel, who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that is why I'm constantly drawn to the teenage years as a time to write about, because it's such that this time period where you're in flux. But I think the reality is that um, those questions actually persist. Um, that's why we have things like mm-hmm. midlife crises, <laughs> because we don't actually get them worked out as uh-huh. teenagers all the time. So um, to me, it's, um, it's fascinating, and mm-hmm. I think... Um, the extent to which we can rely on our emotions to guide us and the extent to which we're taught or even conditioned to sometimes ignore them, um, mm-hmm. particularly sometimes women um, more than men. Um, and I, I think those questions are really fascinating. So those were certainly um, what drew me to the outliers to begin with. And also kind of the connection between emotions and anxiety um, and to what extent, um, you know, where is that line? Um, and I think it, um, to me, it's as somebody who's been anxious in my mm-hmm. life, it was a really um, fascinating question. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved that in the book. There's that question of, is it anxiety talking or is it go with your gut? Which is something I think all of us deal with. Like, is my gut telling me the truth? Should I trust my gut? Of course. And I I find that, um, you know, that's a really really hard fine line and uh, certainly not all anxiety is about you know you should be listening to that there's plenty of it I speak from experience that you should ignore a lot um, but I but I do think there are I- important ways in which our instincts can guide us and um, it certainly mine have in my life mm-hmm. and I really believe that um, and so I it, that was a, a thing I wanted to tap into with this book and I feel like certainly the women in my life I connect with them a lot um, mm-hmm. in that way so that, that's a lot what the book's about and I think there's a beautiful scene about connection, really, when um, Karen, who's Cassie's mom and Cassie's missing, comes over and she needs to borrow a pair of shoes. And mm-hmm. Riley is trying to decide what pair of shoes to give her and happens to touch a pair that's really meaningful. And Karen notices that and makes sure to ask for a different pair. And it was just such a quiet but kind instance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really true. And I think what's interesting about that is Cassie actually has a lot of trouble with her own mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that moment is so telling because Karen, um, in the absence of her own daughter, it, I think finds it much easier to reach out to somebody else's daughter mm-hmm. and to connect with her and to be kind in that way. Um, and I think that's reflective of how complex mother and daughter relationships are and how sometimes it's actually easier to find that authenticity and that connection Mm -hmm. in a less complicated relationship with somebody you don't know as well. Right, which is so true. It's sort of that grass is always greener. It's always easier to do something for someone else because of Mm -hmm. someone else or to look at someone else's problems and be like, I can solve that for (laughs) you. But when it's your own, (laughs) you're like careless. It's more complicated, exactly. (laughs) It's not quite as easy. (laughs) Exactly, that's exactly right. You know, and in that, there's this great relationship with Wiley and Cassie, which again, don't worry, we're not giving anything (laughs) away, but um, Wiley is particularly hurt in the book that Mm -hmm. she feels like Cassie's hidden something from her. And I think it also taps into that fear that we have of like being left out mm-hmm. or is this person really my friend they left me out of something I want right. to know right so it's interesting how you tap into I think like what are universal themes for everyone it doesn't matter if you're a young adult as this is geared towards or if you're an adult no I mean I spent a lot of time talking for sure um, to my own daughters about <laughs> you know the fact that some of the stuff they struggle with yeah. um, in you know whether it's elementary school or middle school um, I spent a lot of time being like well just last week all the mothers <laughs> went to the movies and they didn't invite me and I that's why I think so many of the mm-hmm. things it's 
that that YA books, young adult books, um, bring to the surface a lot of the questions. Yes, I think as adults we all learn to to manage those emotions, mm-hmm. to get some kind of equilibrium where we we are less less sensitized to them. Um, and the teenage years are a much more raw period of time, but. The reality is the questions and the insecurities, uh-huh. they persist. Um, and I think that, again, this taps into that. Like when you're, you know, when you're an adult and, and you want to quit your job, something I also <laughs> know something about, and pursue a dream, you know, do you do that? Do you follow your instinct that it's going to work out? Um, and, you know, so I think that, that those are questions we can all relate to. Absolutely. And do you think then it's a little almost degrading to say it's a young adult book, like the equivalent of calling a movie a chick flick, even though it has themes that resonate with everyone across the board? Well, I think why some I don't think it's degrading because I think why books are fantastic. Yeah. So um, I have always felt like you can call my books whatever you like. <laughs> as long as you publish them. As long as you publish them and people read them and readers who enjoy mm-hmm. them find them. I mean, I think young adult literature has always been and will always be some of the best writing there is. So, I mean, to me, um, and I think there is fantastic chick lit as well. Mm-hmm. So you can call it <laughs> whatever you like as long as you read it. And there's been an interesting resurgence, I think, of young adult writing. And one of the things also that I think is great with this is that it doesn't follow, I feel like a lot of what we've seen lately and maybe it's because Hunger Games has just come out. We just finished that trilogy. We've had the Insurgent Allegiance series. Mm-hmm. So we've got lots that are very similar. And this isn't that way, which is great that we get a young adult novel that's not following that same, like, let's go kill someone type of formula. This is different. Right. It is. It's not dystopian. So it's it's mm-hmm. set in the present day. So I think that that um, it's certainly different. You know, I think that, again, having, having something that is... Um, in the present world, but has a speculative element. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as though it, it hasn't been done, but I think that it it is something that is a is a is a twist. Um, and so, you know, I'm excited about that. Again, I just kind of wrote the book that I wanted mm-hmm. to write. So I feel like the if if it is perceived as different, I think that's great. Um, mm-hmm. If it actually fits somewhere, then that's great too. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I, I feel like I'm just. Uh, you know, I think you have to write the story you're called to write. Um, and I think every author is, is doing that. And in the book also, there's an interesting dichotomy, I guess, between love and hate. It's referenced a lot and how you can feel there's a very thin line between love and hate with Gideon and Cassie, I think even with Wiley and Cassie and some other relationships, which I, again, right. I'm going to tread lightly. But um, how do you feel love and hate plays in? Well, I think that, again, there. I think you're quite right. I mean, I think there's just a very fine line. And I think, again, particularly, I think this is one of those things that you work out a little bit better as you get older, um, mm-hmm. as you learn to manage your feelings. But I think particularly when you're younger, um, it's just the intensity of that emotion. And I think particularly like in, in very close friendships, mm-hmm. um, those things can get very muddled. I know at least that, that my closest friendships um, when I was younger, like they're just, they're very, very intense, mm-hmm. um, particularly before you've had, you know, romantic relationships that maybe supplant some of that. Like some of those early attachments with friendships are your strongest bonds. So um, I do think that they can, that intensity can kind of f- turn on a dime um, and it can be complicated. Absolutely. I mean, relationships in general are complicated. Yes. Anyway. Mine are. I can, I can attest to that That's for life. sure. <laughs> right. And as a mom yourself, there are also really interesting relationships, not just in The Outliers, but also Reconstructing Amelia, that um, we see the mother-daughter relationship and even mother-son with Jasper and his mom and how parents 
influence their children and how parents can shape things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so how do you look at your family life and your children differently now with your writing or how does one influence the other? Yeah, I mean, to me, um, being a parent is one of the most miraculous, terrifying, frustrating, <laughs> just immense experiences um, that I have ever had. Uh, so I, I think I end up exploring it a lot in my writing because on a daily basis, it mystifies me <laughs> that it is like this, that it is this hard, that it is this amazing. Um, and so to me, it's it's endlessly fascinating and mysterious um, because, you know, I'm in the midst of it and I, I think about this life that I have ahead of me with my children and my family and, and the things we have yet to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really like, how does anybody get through that, <laughs> go through them and make it through? And I, I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that obviously people do, um, but I do, I do find it. Um, just the, the everyday trials and tribulations and the broader things and the things that connect people and drive them apart. And um, it is so much more complicated than you ever anticipate it will be. And your girls are rapidly approaching the age that Amelia was mm-hmm. in reconstructing Amelia. And did you see parallels, and were they done even on purpose, between Amelia and Sylvia's relationship and um, Wiley and Cassie's relationship? Um, it certainly wasn't intentional. Um, I think that Again, I think that mother and daughter relationships and also female friendships have been so important to me and so Mm -hmm. seminal in my life. Um, My female friendships were like family to me, particularly the female friends, friendships I made in college. Um, Mm -hmm. So they still are just like touchstones in my life. So um, I think that the way I explore it in both books just kind of reflects my own experience with those things being so just fundamental. And the friends that we make in college a lot of times are the friends that we say we have for life. So A hundred percent. I mean, mine are like sisters and uh-huh. they will, I hope, always be that way. Um, you know, they're the people that came and helped me when I had babies and I came and helped them when they had babies. And, you know, it, they're still the people that call, you know, that I call when I, you know, want to really reconnect. I mean, they're people that know me in a way that other people don't. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's such a special thing. Um, and I think it's so worth protecting and seeing the complexity of. And I think that's why, again, just like the mother-daughter thing, I think I puzzle over it a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, too, like having people who have known us before whatever, before whether it's work success, before family, whatever it is, there is something that you can't recreate any other time. And you can't go back to, clearly, once that ship has sailed. Absolutely. I mean, the number of times I we'll call a friend and, and again I think this is where your gut instinct you know you know when you just call somebody at the at the you needed to talk to that person even though you didn't know you needed to talk to that person <laughs> and the number of times I've had it like a dear friend basically repeat back to me who I am mm-hmm. and this is as an, an adult <laughs> like this is like two weeks ago um but they remind they remind you you're like right that's yeah. my who I am <laughs> yeah. and it brings you back to um, finding your way again and I think sometimes you need them as this like mirror um, to just you know whatever you're doing whether it's problems in a relationship it's problems with your parenting it, whatever it is I think as we all kind of spiral out into world, worlds our own lives that get increasingly complex like you know my friends and I we all have very different lives now as we've gotten older mm-hmm. um, where we live is different what our family shape is like is different but to, to be able to be brought back to a moment in time where kind of your life was more simple um, mm-hmm. reminds you of the core of who you are. And I think that's just such a gift of friendship. 
Absolutely. It's so nice to have those people around us. And especially when you're taking on a lot of responsibility. Now we've got the outliers, but up front, you said, this is a trilogy. There are two more to go. So how does that put more pressure on yourself? Like what happens? Oh my gosh, there's, what am I going to do for book three? <laughs> right. I mean, the good news is I had a, a, an idea for the arc of the entire trilogy when I started it. I mean, it, it wasn't as though, you know, I wrote one book and then I thought this really? doesn't fit in one book. Let me just add another one. And now I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. <laughs> There's a whole other book. Um, the good news is I had, you know, to me, the trilogy always existed. This is kind of hero's journey where it had, you know, three chapters to it. And that was really important to telling the story. So each book is in and of itself a contained mystery, but that the entire arc of the story was always meant to have this cadence. Mm -hmm. um, so while I can't promise I know every detail at this moment about what happens in book three, like I know where I'm going. Um, and, you know, that's the way I, I am at the beginning of every book. Um, just have kind of a place on the wall I'm writing to. And so I do know that. So that that is comforting. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard you say that you don't sit down and outline your books the way a lot of authors say they do. So when you sat down thinking, okay, we've got this arc, there's a trilogy, was it just sort of this nebulous concept in your head of, I know what I'll do, we'll just, we'll get there somehow. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of like that. <laughs> that sounds kind of terrifying when you say it that way. Um <laughs> Don't worry to my publisher out there. It's, it's all good. Um, no, but it. I think it's a it's a combination. I when I sit down to write, um, I really see the book play out as a movie in my head, um, and then kind of transcribe it back into a book. Um, so I would say that, which is how it's easy to kind of think about the book when I'm not writing, mm -hmm. because I'm, I can play out a scene and be like, nope, that didn't work. Let me try another way and um, to see it uh, and to see what what makes sense and what won't. So. I had a sense of how I wanted it all to play out. Now, when when you go and sit down to take that movie and, and actually write the scenes, you know, often it starts to disintegrate in your hands a bit um, and it goes up in a puff of smoke. So then you have to, to rebuild it. So mm -hmm. it, while I don't outline, what I do instead is I, I write a draft and um, it, what it means is my first draft is extremely rough and messy. And then a lot of the, my work in, in constructing a book, because they are fairly intricately plotted, is in the revision. Uh, and so I go back and, and thread things through, and it means that I'm committed to a very lengthy revision process. Oh, that's really interesting. That So you go back specifically to make sure that hints are there or clues. So if you're reading, yeah. you can go back and see if you can guess that, like a play along. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so yeah, I think that... Um, I think you really leave yourself clues as you're writing that first draft. Um, and and the real magic of writing is you don't always see, you don't realize you're doing it. And so often I will have done something at the end and then be like, why is this here? <laughs> like this thing is here. And then all of a sudden I will realize that it connects to something at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that is, I mean, to me, that's the whole magic. And that's why you write to begin with, um, to kind of put those pieces together in this way that, now that it's, it is a little bit like right, walking on a tightrope, because you're like, I hope this all <laughs> is gonna connect. Um, and sometimes you get stuck and you mm -hmm. have to wait to see how it fits. Um, but absolutely, you have to, once you decide on a major thread in the mystery, you have to go back then and sometimes seed it better mm -hmm. so that, or pull things out that make it too obvious. You realize mm -hmm. you, were, you were telling something too early. Um, and I think the only way I can do it this way without an outline is to really be willing to rip it apart. I have not married to anything that I mm -hmm. put in that first draft. So I, I'm very committed to that part of it. 
<laughs> to changes. To changes. <laughs> lots and lots of changes. I'm not married to any of it, yes. <laughs> and speaking of watching it in your head like a movie, before this book even hit shelves, I mean, we're still before it hit shelves, yeah. but before it came out, you actually got a call from Lionsgate. They wanted to option the movie. Reese Witherspoon is set as one of the producers. Now that you're writing book two and book three to come, do you see it with specific people in mind also? You know, not um, yet. I mean, obviously, like, I, I do see Reese Witherspoon <laughs> in my head when I close my eyes. Um, so, you know, obviously, I, I see her. But in terms of, you know, particular people playing the teenage characters, um, uh, no. Um, I mean, I have a vision of, of Wiley in my head and of mm-hmm. Cassie and of Jasper. And those will be, you know, what they will remain. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that cha- if if who I see them as ever becomes who plays them um you know that that I don't know because I haven't had that experience yet but um for now they they stay who they are in my head and authors have a lot of different levels of involvement when their projects become films so how much involvement have you been guaranteed how much will you have whether it's casting or writing the screenplay or what have you well at this point I'm not um writing the screenplay in part because I'm writing the other the other books. <laughs> You're a little busy. So yeah, that sounds um, that that sounds complicated. Um, so yeah, so so I'm not uh, I'm not writing the screenplay. I have felt um, so enormously respected, and you know that that my input has been considered, and um, you know I really look at the process um, both with the outliers and with reconstructing Amelia, which has been optioned by HBO and um, Nicole Kidman's Blossom Films. Um, I really look at it um, like you should really, um, when you go to a surgeon, that you should really hire a really good surgeon mm-hmm. and then not spend the time during the operation telling him <laughs> where to operate. So um, I really couldn't have picked better people to partner mm-hmm. with, whether it is, you know, Nicole Kidman and Blossom and HBO and or Reese and Mandeville and Lionsgate. I mean, those are just like unbelievably gifted people um, and they know how to make incredible films and you know there is a difference between a book and a movie um, <laughs> and the reality is that, that it's a different medium and there's translations that have to be made so I'm so excited to be a part of the process to the extent I'm helpful um, and otherwise I'm excited to just watch. <laughs> It'll be really interesting to see these characters on screen yeah. and how much they play like the movie that was in your head I know. as you were writing. <laughs> I know, absolutely. It's going to be, yeah, it's really going to be fascinating. I think that the first um, way you see that is really um, when you get your cover, um, because you, you have, and that's been my only window into this, you have a vision for your book and how you, um, you know, how you see it. And um, then you get a cover, which is somebody else's, the, you know, the cover designers are incredible. Mm-hmm. And they read the book, they read the books, you know, and they, they really have a sense of them. And, and then they translate your vision into this visual mm-hmm. representation. And what's amazing, I have found, is their ability to capture the emotion, mm-hmm. even if it isn't at all what you uh, described. I never would have described this cover, but it could not be more perfect. Yeah. I mean, you know, she just, I felt it, like, when I saw it, and mm-hmm. I felt the book. And to me, that's, like, such a gift. Um, so, I, you know, I'm just excited. Again, I can't just, I can't believe anybody <laughs> published my book still. So, like, I'm just excited about the whole thing. And it's fascinating, because this is actually your first book where we don't get the back of someone. This is yes! our first face! <laughs> yes, you got a face. You can't really see it. You did get half of Amelia's face in the hardcover, so... You don't get a whole face ever. You just get a half face. <laughs> and you had a long journey. You started out as an attorney mm-hmm. and then decided after, was it 11 years, that, hey, I'm going, or you left being an attorney, right? And then you spent 11 years thinking, let's get a book published. Yeah, yeah. So I, I 
definitely always secretly harbored dreams of being a writer, but I was also a realist and knew that I needed to be able to support myself um, and have a job. And anybody who's done a creative endeavor knows that if you want to be able to support yourself, a creative <laughs> endeavor is just not necessarily something you can totally count on. So the honest truth is I wasn't brave enough. So I, um, and I certainly was interested in being a lawyer and I loved, um, law school was great. It's a, such a fascinating education. So, um, and then I practiced for three years. Um, but then I really came to realize that it just wasn't fulfilling for me. It wasn't making me happy. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And I did have this teeny tiny fantasy that somebody was just going to kind of come down the hallway and be like, from the New Yorker and be like, no, you, you, we've been waiting for you. And I was like, you know what, actually, they're not actually going to do that. Weirdly, I'm going to sit in this office and I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, um, be a lawyer, actually. <laughs> I just had that moment where I was like, actually, you make choices in your life. And everything comes with risk. Um, I was really uh, incredibly lucky to be able to take a leave of absence for a year and defer my law school loans and live off my savings for a year. And that's when I wrote my first book. Um, so that was kind of like a baby step forward. Mm -hmm. um, and in that year, I, I came close to, um, I got an agent. Um, and I came close to selling that first book. And that was critical because that early, I mean, that was just so lucky because what you do need, even if you go through a long period of rejection, you need something. You need, you need, need that American Idol moment where they at least get the ticket to Hollywood. <laughs> Maybe that's it, but you got the ticket yeah. to Hollywood. Like it, it really helps to have something to hold on to. And so even though they were rejection letters, they were kind and they were encouraging. And I was like, okay, like I'd never written a book. I'd never really written anything except a couple short stories in high school. And so I really thought, okay, if I got this after a year, I've got to believe that if I keep mm -hmm. working at it, I will get there eventually. And I, that was what guided me. I ended up coming back working for a year um, as a lawyer again, wrote my second book uh, in the mornings before I went to work from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. And then I would work like 90 hour weeks. And then um, that book, um, my agent uh, told me was unsellable and that I should put it away. Um, and it was a really bad book. <laughs> um, this is very true. So, uh, that one got put away. And at that point I was like, you know what, this is, this isn't working. This notion that I'm not going to, cause I still hadn't fully taken the risk. Like I was thinking I could kind of have both. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up, um, by that point I had turned my fiance into a husband and I was like, surprise, <laughs> I'm going to quit <laughs> and try to be a writer. And so we took a huge financial hit. I had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of law school debt. And I was very lucky to have somebody mm -hmm. who would support me um, and let me make a go of it. And I did uh, for, and I had children in there um, mm -hmm. and two children and, and kept working and wrote several more books and um, published some short stories. Um, and by the time, uh, but I had given myself a decade. Um, I was like, you know, 10 years seems like um, reasonable. I'm big on deadlines. If you haven't picked <laughs> up on that, it's just a little, little structured. Um, so, uh, 10 years seemed like a, a good amount of time, but then my 10 years was, um, pretty much up. And I, uh, was working on, uh, I just started reconstructing Amelia and I started looking for jobs. Um, but in the meantime, the bottom had fallen out of the economy. Um, it was, you know, 2008, it was 2009 going to 2010. And I would, was now a out of work lawyer trying to career transition during a recession. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it was informational interviews. It was cause I knew I didn't want to practice at least not in the way I had been. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to get into communications. And so I um, 
it was a long process. But as a result, the real gift was I kept writing um, in between the very few informational interviews I had. Um, I tried to get jobs being people's assistant and I couldn't get, I couldn't get a job doing anything. You were um, overqualified. I was overqualified. That- and who wants to hire, like, I don't want my lawyer to be my assistant. That sounds <laughs> so annoying. Um, and so I, I really, I couldn't get hired to do anything. Um, and so I kept working, finished reconstructing Millie. I had a new agent at the time who's my agent now. Marley's amazing. Um, and, uh, she was like, you know, I with reconstructing me, she's like, I really think you have something here. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've heard this story before <laughs> a couple of times. Um, so I kept looking for a job. And um, meanwhile, you know, the, I finally actually got a job offer um, 24 hours before uh, reconstructing me went to auction. Um, and I can remember getting the job offer actually <laughs> to work in the communications department of the University of Pennsylvania Law School, where I graduated from. And I was going to have to commute for two hours in each direction, oh four goodness. days a week to work in the communications department. But that was like, I mean, and it took forever to get that job offer. And a dear friend had helped me even get a foot in the door. And so, um, you know, I got that job offer and it it felt huge to even have a job offer. And so I asked though, I was like, can I have 48 hours? Because my agent said, you know, I think, I think it, maybe we're going to have an auction here. And um, I still didn't believe it. And so I asked for 48 hours and explained the situation to them. Uh-huh. And they said, yeah, you can have 48 hours. And so um, it did. It went to auction and uh, five publishing houses, I think, bid on Reconstructing Amelia. And um, yeah, so then after that began the period of disbelief, <laughs> which persists to this moment as I sit here. Um, and that was, yeah, so I kind of, since then, I've tried to take advantage of the uh, huge opportunity that I've been given to, to have a book published at all. I mean, that's as nail-biting as your stories are. <laughs> I like Good to again. keep it suspenseful. Right. Yeah. I'm glad that's a theme. <laughs> it is. It is. Very stressful for my family, but yes. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting, too, because I think we all have this misconception that if you're if you're successful, that therefore you can do anything. And so here you are in a, a successful attorney, and then it was a struggle to become a writer and to do that transition. Yeah, it was a, a huge struggle. I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think that's really important for people trying to make any tra- transition to realize is, is I think it's really easy to look at the place where people end up mm-hmm. um, rather than to, you don't see their journey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that whole idea of the, you know, overnight success that took 20 years um, and the people kind of come out of nowhere. But, you know, inevitably there's, there's so much rejection. Um, and that is the thing. I mean, that, and the reality is, you know, as I was telling myself at the end of my, you know, journey before Reconstructing Amelia, it's true that you won't necessarily make it. I mean, and I think you have to know that when you take the leap. Um, but you have to believe that the journey will be worth it, you know, mm-hmm. regardless. Um, and I did feel that at the end. Like, I knew that no matter what, I was not going to regret having tried. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you, you don't want to live a life in that office mm-hmm. 20 years later being like, they still have not come from the New Yorker to take <laughs> me away. Um, so, you know, it, it, I think it, it is worth it for that. And so how did you continue to bolster your confidence? I know people say things very thoughtlessly sometimes. So you've got your 10 years off going Mm -hmm. on 11 and people say, so you're a writer? Well, what have you published? Oh, it's a short story, but what about a book? You know, like where people tend to say, like, why haven't you made money or why haven't you done X, Y, or Z yet? Yeah, it was hard. Um, It was very hard. Uh, And you really have to find it in yourself. And I think, I do think, with writing and I think with a lot of endeavors it's to return to the reason why you do it which is the work and and a good thing for anybody out there to know is is those things that you just described kind of persist Mm -hmm. um they just change from 
well, have they sent you on a tour? Why? I haven't seen it in, in the New York Times book review. <laughs> I mean, it just, you know, the, the, and that is really important in life, I think, for everybody, whatever mm-hmm. field you're in, to know that you just move the goalpost. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to find the satisfaction in the work itself, um, which is what I, I constantly tried to bring myself back to, it was, there were, you can call my husband. There were, <laughs> it did not always work. Um, I would say it probably worked about 25% of the time. Um, so it's a process. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, I do think it's important to know that it's, there's a huge thing in trying to write a book published, unpublished. And that for mm-hmm. sure is a um, is a big demarcation and not to minimize mm-hmm. that. But but it does, um, and that was a big thing for me. But um it, it, it just, it continues to be complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly in creative fields where I feel like there is no clear mm-hmm. yes, no. I mean, it's very subjective. And that's such a fabulous point too, that it doesn't end once you publish the book, that there are still questions of why isn't it this or why isn't it that or who's doing this or who's doing that. It is such an ongoing process. Right. Right. You have to find it from within. Because Absolutely. That's it. <laughs> I mean, that's life. Like life is a, is a, a friend of mine once said that, that being a partner in a law firm was like, um, a pie eating contest where the prize was more pie. And like, I think that's true. Like you can just, it can devour you, whatever your world, you know, part of the world you're in. So I think it's just important to like, just stay in yourself. And it's interesting too, how you've brought your law back, your background of law into your books. We were talking earlier, I got this great insight, so I'm excited (laughs) to share it about how you look in law school, that you had to look at things from the other person's point of view. And so now writing suspense filled books, you're really looking at things from the writer's point of view and bringing that in. That was just so fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's, um, I've reflected on a lot, like how um, actually writing a mystery and structuring them has felt very familiar to me. And I, I think it's a lot from structuring um, arguments in law school or as an attorney, because a lot of what you, you're doing is predicting um, what the response of a hypothetical audience will be. In my case, I never really got in front of a jury, but you have somebody reading a brief, um, a clerk or a law school professor, um, and you always have to predict the other side of the argument and how it will be viewed, what the weaknesses are. And I really feel like when I'm structuring them, that's always what I'm doing. You know, either I want to make sure somebody buys into my red herring or they reject <laughs> something in favor of something else. Um, and that, so it does really help me in that way. Okay, well, before we wrap it up, then, a personal question for you. I feel like bum, bum, bum. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh, I have to go. <laughs> now, your social media says that you are an over-competitive baker. Yes. <laughs> so, what do you bake? I bake. Um, I'm huge. I really, I, I do, I bake a mean cake and a mean cupcake. See, this is the part where I'm not only competitive, but super braggy, apparently, <laughs> about my baking as well. Um, but I, my main thing is cookies, um, and particularly around the holidays, um, I have a huge uh, Christmas cookie uh, project um, that I started like 10 years ago with like two different kinds of Christmas cookies and it has evolved and now there are like 12 different kinds and if you look on my social media you can find a picture of the box (laughs) that I bring to my in-laws on Christmas and um, I usually donate some to... um, but uh, my husband, it's hilarious because it's as I've gotten busier and I definitely don't have time. So I'm always like <laughs> baking them at 10 o'clock at night, which means you mess them up. And then I'm like freezing the dough and I'm doing all these crazy things. So he's always trying to act some of the kinds of cookies. He's like, we really don't need these. But notably, it's always the kind of cookies he doesn't like. And I'm so I'm always rejecting his his trying to cut. So but I bake, you know, cakes on the kids' birthdays and all that stuff. 
Well, when you return for Outliers 2, then I'm hoping for Christmas time because I need some cookies. <laughs> I will come equipped. I promise. Next time I will come equipped. Good. I'm holding you to that promise. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me in studio today. This has been a great edition of Book Circle Online. So glad that you could join us. And once again, where can everyone find you on social media? I am on Twitter at Kim McCrate and on Instagram at Kimberly McCrate. And my website is KimberlyMcCrate.com. And I'm Zoe Hewitt. You can find me at Zoe Said What, that Z-O-E Said What, on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, good reading, everyone. Bye-bye. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.